Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spilled Tea. Your place for the latest on pop culture, entertainment news, and LGBT issues. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to another edition of The Spilled Tea. I am one of your hosts, Emmy Morgan. Um, happy birthday to me. My second year in a row celebrating my birthday yesterday um, in quarantine. It feels kind of weird, but at the same time, it's okay. I typically don't like making a big deal about my birthday. Um, I'm I'm not, like, huge about parties and whatnot, just because I feel awkward when someone spends money on me. Even though I spend money on other people, I just feel weird when it's the reverse. I don't know. It's so funny, though, because whenever I do get presents, I'm like, today um, I went to my sister's house and well, one of my sisters, and she got me a Schitt's Creek t-shirt. Duh, why didn't I buy that for myself? Like, I, I don't know. She also got me a keychain that says, oh, and then uh, some, uh, what's it called? Some stickers, some Schitt's Creek stickers, and also she got me a um, gift card to Grubhub. So it's, like, weird that I can get presents that I didn't expect, but I would never think to get those for myself. Hi, Joe. Just talking about my quarantine birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. Happy birthday to Anthony, my um, birthday twin. And even though he looks physically like you, he's my birthday twin. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) When I saw him, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that's definitely Joe's kid. Like, holy crap. Yeah, we've got uh we've got a couple of years on him, but the resemblance you look is like striking. brothers standing next to each other, not father and son. Like if I didn't know you, I'd be confused. It'd be like Joe and his little brother. I'd be confused. <laughs> not trying to gas you up, just being honest. Well, I always I, I always appreciate it um, the the yeah. compliment, but he's the uh, he's the better he's the better looking version of me. Oh my goodness gracious! Here we go. I'm not even gonna touch that one because I know you're fishing for a compliment right now, and I'm not giving it to you. I refuse. No, just kidding. Um, yeah. So I was just telling them that I went to Jamie's, and she bought me a Schitt's Creek. T-shirt, Shit Creek stickers, a keychain that says "Oh," and um, a gift card to Grubhub, and I was delightfully happy. 
and we watched Scooby-Doo. Um, she, because Jamie can literally go into a refrigerator and be like, uh, I think I want to make this. And boom, 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 she have a whole meal. Me, I need a recipe. I need a shopping list. I am so type A personality. She's just like, yeah, put this in, put this in. Oh, let's try this spice. And I'm like, how the heck do you do that? And I still don't know. So she asked me what I wanted for supper for my birthday. And I told, I had bought a ham. Well, I got a free ham from Omaha Steaks. So she made that with pineapples and a little bit of cinnamon on top. Um, uh, Al gratin potatoes, which... It's a joke in our little family. Um, her brother, who passed away when we were younger, his um, he asked his mom, you know, Mom, what's for dinner? And she said, all gratin potatoes. And he started bawling, like hysterically crying, and we're all looking at him. I think he was like eight or nine. We're like, Brett, what is your problem? He's like, I don't want to have to eat any old rotten potatoes. And we're like, no, Brett. Al gratin means with cheese. And he's like, oh. So I haven't had any since I was a kid. So she made those with with some um, French cut green beans. I'm gonna tell you right now, that was the best birthday meal I've ever had. It was so wow. good. And she she's eating it herself, and she's like, wow, that was a good choice for this meal. I'm like, did you just compliment yourself? Like, you're the one that made the meal, not me. She's like, yeah, but you, put, you, you told me what to, like, put together. I'm like, okay, but at the end of the day, you made the meal, girl. So, yeah, we had fun, and it was nice. It was quiet. I got a lot, a lot of birthday wishes, which was really sweet. Um, the one birthday wish that I was very shocked by was... Um, this guy that I, I was, I'm going to just say it. I was in love with him in college, in love with him. And we've since had remained friends and I've apologized for some of the stalkerish type of behavior that I did. Um, ah, shut up, Joe. Um, <laughs> listen, I was young and in love. So maybe I sent a couple of, um, you know, love notes into his mailbox. Um, maybe I called him a lot. Whatever. We're friends now. And he's happily married with children. But he go. sent me a message to say happy birthday. And I was like, holy crap. Um, I was kind of stunned. But it made me happy. Um, and also... Yes. And also, I reconnected with some high school friends. So after we got off the call last week, I kind of reached out to some people. You know, now that I'm fully vaxxed, um, I'm reaching out to some high school friends. And Joe is actually going to be a part of some dinner that we have coming up with high school friends. And I'm just, like, so excited. I actually am going to be having lunch with Mark on Tuesday and then I'm going to be at Erica's Erica's house on Wednesday for dinner. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm excited. 
to reconnect with all these people that I've had such fond memories of, you know? So it's, it's so funny when that. you say, like, when you say names like uh, Merck and Erica, and I automatically know who, who you're, you're you talking autom- about. Oh, my God. I was watching this TikTok where this guy said that he was pretending to be two people, and he was, he was, uh, I'll have to send it to you because I'm like, this is so accurate. He was giving nicknames to people from high school, and the other part of him knew exactly who they were. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is so accurate. I never got a nickname, though. I don't think, at least, I mean, maybe I had one behind my back. But what was your nickname? Your nickname was your last name. I had a nickname. Yeah. I think your nickname was your last name. Yeah. A lot of people had their last names as their nickname, but, like, um, a few people had their nickname as, like, an inside joke. Like, this girl, Dominique, that we went to to high school with, she had a nickname. And I still don't understand it, but that was her little group that had that nickname. Um, I'm trying to – oh, wait. Brian Crowley, Brillo of his hair. Yep, Brillo. Um, we called um, someone Kinger, and his last name was King. Um, yep. God, we were, we were so weird. <laughs> now that I think about it. But I, I kind of like, oh, with Paul, PK, that was his nickname. I'm not sure. Oh, yep. you know why? Because people had trouble saying his last name. That's why. That's fair. Whatever. Um, I mean, I, I played soccer with him since he was such a, you know, such a young kid that I never mm-hmm. had issues with his name, but I remember. Me neither. I remember that was always the, the hang up. Yeah. And he's since cleared it like up. We actually, <laughs> it is. We've actually gone to college together. We went to college together, too. And he, <laughs> he may have been my college crush's roommate for a time which was super awkward. Um, yeah, but PK and I, I love that boy. He is, like, amazing. Um, he's a lawyer now. Go figure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, how was your week? How's your week been? Um, it's a, it was pretty good. Um, nothing yeah. too crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, work is work. Is work. There's, always, mm-hmm. there's no shortage of strange and unusual issues that come up in the world of HR, but um, <laughs> some of them are more entertaining than others. And, uh, and other than that, nothing too crazy. Made it into um, made it into Boston this weekend with uh, with my wife and my stepdaughter. We went and mm-hmm. saw the um, went to the public gardens and saw the the flowers oh. and uh, uh, the spring. The spring is in the air. Uh, revelry. Yeah. So it was good. It was good. It was a great. It was a great weekend. What did you um, do for Anthony? Did you call him, Skype him? Yeah, so I called him. I, I mean, I texted him. I stayed up late on Friday because she's three hours behind. Mm-hmm. So I texted him on, um, you know, basically right after it hit midnight here. It's mm-hmm. still nine o'clock there, but but you know, you gotta do it. You gotta you gotta yeah. You gotta send the, the birthday because. No matter what, he's still from here, and you know we're still yeah. on East Coast time. So 
It counts. I counted it. Yes. Um, you had to be the And same. then, you know, exactly, exactly. And then, of course, he, you know, he texted me back. Um, but then I called him, I called him yesterday morning, and mm-hmm. we had a, you know, our, we usually, I mean, we usually end up on the phone for hours anyway, but we had our usual Aww. long conversation but with the birthday, you know, with the birthday edition. So it was, it was, it was good. It's always great to talk to him and, um, but, you know, as evidenced by the fact that I end up spending hours talking to him every time I do, I do. Um, but we, you know, we wow. always have chat. Good stuff. I mean, most them. parents don't spend hours on the phone with their kids. I'm just telling you that right now. That is rare. Very rare. Um, I, you know, I, I do talk to, when I talk to my parents, I end up on the phone with them for a long time. Um, wow. I would, you know, I would, I, I have a very good relationship with my parents, so, you know, we mm-hmm. end up talking about pretty much everything under the sun and all things mm-hmm. going on with the family, et cetera. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I end up, the the conversations with the aunt end up being more, um, I don't know, I don't want to say they're more culturally related, but they end up, we end up going mm-hmm. into some weird stuff, and it's always entertaining, but um, I miss him. I miss him. If he were here, I'd be doing it when he was here, so... Mm. Oh, I love hearing that. I love hearing parents who not smother their kids, but just love them unconditionally. It's so nice to hear. It's so refreshing. You know, it's it's definitely not the norm. Definitely not the norm. Yeah, I, I always, you know, every once in a while I hear some stories about, you know, parents that, you know, have really, really really good relationships with their kids into their, you know, to their young adult lives and their adult lives. And it, I think it's, I, I, I'm hoping that it's more common than, you know, than what I would be led to believe by some people that just don't get along, but you never know. Yeah, I don't get along with my mother at all. And, you know, I was thinking about my relationship with my dad and I'm like, because of his foolishness back in the day, he kept me from meeting my grandparents. My grandparents died in, like, I want to say 95 and 20, 2003, and, like, I didn't get yep. to meet them. And everybody says, oh, my God, you look so much like our grandmother. And I'm like, damn it. I hate hearing that stuff because it's like I could have, you know. Anyway. Yeah. So, but I love seeing the great relationships developing for my sisters. Like my sister Jamie has a great relationship with both of her kids. Same with my sister Ashley um, and my sister um, Mandy. They all have amazing relationships with their kids. And I don't know, it kind of makes me like happy to see that, you know? I don't know. We were kind of left to our own devices when we were kids, so... We always said, you know, oh, when we become parents, we're going to do this, that, and the third. And they've kept to that. So it's nice to see that. Yeah, agreed. So let's get into it. Um, First question, and this is something that came up on on a tweet that I saw. And I thought, I have to talk about this. Um... People are trying to say that men and women cannot have a platonic 
friendship or relationship. I completely disagree. I completely disagree. Um, I think what they mean to say is that heterosexual men and heterosexual women can't have a platonic relationship, and I still disagree. Because the first general question, men and women can have platonic relationships. Hello, gay men. Gay men and women have been best friends since the dawn of time. Um, But if you make him heterosexual, I still think, I guess the argument was a heterosexual man will at some point want to have sex with that woman whether she's a friend or not, I completely disagree. What are your thoughts? So, um, I think, and, and this is just my personal experience, I think that yeah. it, is, it, it is entirely possible, mm-hmm. especially depending on the parties, I think it's entirely right. possible for men and women to be friends, platonic right. friends. Right. Um, where I where I think the the waters get muddied is where we're talking about both motive and opportunity, and this is something that I say to my wife all the time. You know, I was like, you know, there's there's plenty of situations where people will cheat on their spouse, or you know, if, mm-hmm. if they're even if even if we're talking about about um, being being single and having friends that are of, of the opposite. Um, mm-hmm. What I what I believe in those situations is that without the motive or the opportunity, those situations don't come to fruition. You don't see them as a necessarily as a viable, you know, whatever partner or you know whatever, just even viable mm-hmm. opportunity to have sex with. Um, I think there are times where that changes within friendships where one party is particularly vulnerable or giving off an air of vulnerability that the other person perceives as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And first of all, I think, I think that says a lot about the person um, that's, that's involved in a situation where they would, where they would step over that line. And second, mm-hmm. I, I think it, um, I think it's, I think there are those those same people that say it can't happen are the same people that have no desire to maintain a platonic friendship in any mm-hmm. sense of the term and are not genu- genuinely the type of person that cares about the actual friendship itself. Correct. If, if, that, if that makes any sense. Correct. I mean, I have, well, obviously you there's never been any sort of vibe between either one of us on either side. Um, And there's also the, I have friends that are single, guy friends that are single, some that I work with. I don't, I'm like weird. And I say that because apparently it's abnormal. If you are a friend, I cannot look at you any other way, and I never will. Once you have that label in my mind of friendship, there's no way in hell I'm ever going to look at you sexually. I don't care if you're butt-ass naked in front of me 
and you're physically my type. Once you are my friend, we are not crossing that line. Um, and I tend to hang out with people that are like that as well. Um, I, I just feel like I cherish my friendships so much that I never want to, like, ruin them in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That's just how I feel, I guess. I mean, the other the other caveat to this, of course, is that there there has to be some sense of of attraction there to even mm-hmm. even consider it. You know, friend friendship right. aside, but to to have some sense of attraction that and and again, that's something where people have to look at what their own mold, motives are for having those friendships. Mm-hmm. There are some people that mm-hmm. that have friends with people that they are inclined to be attracted to because of the fact that they hope someday that opportunity might present itself where the motive and the opportunity coincide and you can take Mm -hmm. advantage. I I think, you know, that's one of the things that has always frustrated me about, you know, friends of, you know, uh, that that are uh, willing to overstep those boundaries and, you know, are damn the, damn the consequences because mm-hmm. it always spills over into other areas. There's the other friends yep. that are involved peripherally or, you know, intimately involved mm-hmm. in that friendship that are then impacted by this now awkward situation. And yep. um, and to me, it oftentimes doesn't result in this long-term coupling. It results mm-hmm. in upheaval and disarray and discord in a situation where, you know, people would be much better much better off just accepting the fact that friendship is something that is it, it should be valued and it should be cherished for what it is um, mm-hmm. not as a not as a stepping stone or an opportunity to try to you know try to sleep with somebody else or whatever and you say that and it reminds me of a time when I met this guy and first of all I think a lot of people feel comfortable being friends with me not because um, well, I think for many reasons, but one of the reasons is because of this viewpoint, they know I'm never going to try to, like, do anything to them. I have this one friend. His name is Larry. He and I became friends, but at first I had a crush on him. I did. The second we became friends, I don't know what happened. I just, he's actually the first friend that I've ever had a crush on. And then, like, once we became friends, it just died. I don't know why. I really don't know what what happened, but I just stopped crushing on him. And it's hilarious because two things happened. One, Larry and I could sleep in the same bed, cuddled up next to each other, and not have sexual interaction with each other we've seen each other naked we saw each other in our underwear like there's never been that line that crossed and yet everybody in my life thinks that me and Larry are going to end up together and I'm like no that's not going to happen he's one of my best friends like no it's never going to happen and number Mm -hmm. two he's had people that crushed on him, befriended him, and then stopped being friends with him because he didn't crush on them back. 
and it was too hard yeah. for them to be friends with him. And I'm like, dude, friendships last longer than relationships, just like you alluded to. Like, yeah. the thought of having a friend for the rest of my life sounds so much more appealing than having a relationship I personally know is just an infatuation. Like, infatuations don't last because reality sets in and that image that you have of that person is not what their reality is. So, yeah, I I tend to actually try to befriend people that I have crushes on, to be honest with you. Um, sometimes it's worked for me. Sometimes I'm just like, oh, my God, they are a complete asshole, and I am so glad I dodged a bullet there. But most of the time it's worked out for me. I've actually been able to befriend, like my friend Brandon, I had a crush on him too. We became friends and now he put me in as a producer on his film 20 years later, you know? Yeah. So I think I'm, I do un- that. I'm not a threat. So what, go ahead. I think the, the, one, the, one, the one thing that, that is the double-edged sword to it Mm-hmm. Is that if you are single or you are looking to, you know, to find someone for mm-hmm. companionship, mm-hmm. you want there to be an established relationship of, and, and whether mm-hmm. it develops into that or it starts off in yeah. that, you want to have that baseline of friendship because mm-hmm. compatibility and maintaining some kind, some sense of a healthy relationship oftentimes relies on, you know, getting past that initial honeymoon stage and realizing that right. you you love this person, you care about this person deeply, but also as a friend, you value their presence. You value them as someone that is a trusted confidant. And much of those hallmarks that we, we take from our, our friendships that are platonic we mm-hmm. try to, you know, hopefully we find some semblance of that within a partner as well. Um, I agree, but I'm also that person who has always said, I will never make or allow my boyfriend or my husband to be my best friend. Here's why. If I make my husband or boyfriend my best friend, I will focus in on them and nobody else. Mm-hmm. I will stop paying, I, I will stop like talking to Joe. I will stop hanging out with Jamie. I will, you know, and I don't want to do that. I don't want to lose a part of who I am in order to find, quote, love. That's not love to me. To me, that's um, compromise in a bad way. And so we'll my partner be one of my best friends? Absolutely he will be. I'll be spending the most time with him out of anybody in my life. But I don't want him to be my best friend. I want him to have his own friends. I want him to have boys night with his friends. I want him to uh, be scared of some of the guys in my life because they threatened him or something. I don't know. I just, I can't hmm. I just can't do it. And that's partly why I'm I'm single as well. A couple of guys I went on dates with, the first couple dates, 
they were like, yeah, I need to see you more. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I, you know, I have like a podcast. I need my alone time. Like, God bless the guy who ends up with me because you've got your gateway to heaven with, with that. Um, I just need to let down a couple guards, but it, it's just, I don't know. It's tough. I mean, ultimately, that, that, comes down, that comes down to balance. I think, you know, yeah. we all, we all want to have that balance between yeah. what, we, what we know ourselves as, what we believe ourselves to be, and what we believe that we can be in a relationship mm-hmm. and what's accessible to us and, and you know, what's accessible in, in terms of being able to retain who we are as right. a person and those things that we mm-hmm. truly enjoy and having someone that's willing to accept those parts of us and also allow us to continue to be ourselves in those situations. And it's, that's, that's, I, that's part of the challenge. That's, that's always part mm-hmm. of the challenge because that dynamic shifts over the course of time anyway. We continue to evolve mm-hmm. as people. Our partners continue to evolve as people. Our friends continue to evolve as people. And our interests tend to change over time as well. So it's, it's the, the constant maintenance of mm-hmm. friendships and relationships that I think, you know, it's why they say it's, it's work to try to, to try to stay in those, mm-hmm. those positive frames of mind. Um, because, you know, we don't want to lose ourselves and we don't want to lose those things that are most important to us just because we're happy in a particular sense. Yeah. And my sister was having a conversation with one of her friends where she was like, you know, my friend thinks that my current relationship is pulling me away from her and that's not the case and I never ever want any of my friends to ever say that because my friendships aren't important to me the second you become my friend it's almost like you're we're in a relationship I put your birthday in my calendar I try to learn you know little things about you not like spying but I try to listen to you as well like pick up on clues on what you like what you don't like I just I don't ever want to lose that, you know? Um, But I did date somebody in the past who wanted to see me every single day. And when I suggested, you know, hey, you should just have a night with your friends. I don't have friends. I've got you. I was like, I'm out. Like, that scared the shit out of me. Um, You need to have friends. You need to have a life before me. Um, you need to maintain that life because I sure am. I'm going to have my days where I just want to, you know, one day to myself or to hang out with my friends. And, yeah, I just, I can't do the whole clingy thing. It's scary. Go ahead. But I, I, I think that that's something that also carries over into parenting because... Mm, right. There, there are people that become so enveloped in their role mm-hmm. as a parent that they forget that there are other things that matter, other things that are important mm-hmm. to them, other things of value that have gotten them to that point and right. that are, I, I don't want to say they supersede your, your child or supersede your, um, you know, your, your role as, as a parent and someone who has to mm-hmm. protect and, and nurture this, this, this life. But 
I think, again, there has to be some sense of balance between the two. If you live your life for your children, once your children no longer need you, then you have nothing. You have a complete void. Right. And that's yeah. why I think a lot of people run into those midlife crisis situations where they don't have anything that brings them enjoyment outside of mm-hmm. living vicariously through their children's lives. Yeah. And that, to me, that can be incredibly self-destructive because you, you've acquired no self-awareness of your own outside mm-hmm. of your identity with, as a parent. And, and to me, that's always been a challenge as well as maintaining that balance with, you know, with, with being a parent and still trying to maintain friendships and maintain those other things outside of, of just being a dad. My thing is I'm always looking 10 years ahead. I always do that. And so my theory is when I get into a relationship, the reason why I want him to have friends is because who's he going to invite to be one of his groomsmen? Who's he going to, you know, bitch about to me? Like, bitch, bitch about me to somebody, you know, because I know I'm not perfect, and I know I'm bitching to my friends about his ass. So, and then go further, when we adopt kids, how are we going to find a babysitter? Like, don't you want your friends to babysit? Don't you want, like, your friends' kids to be friends with our kids? Like, I think about that stuff so far ahead. Of course, I don't tell the guy that, but that's another reason why you need to have your own life. You need to have have your own set of friends, and we just come together and build this life together, period. And, yeah, yeah I just, I, I feel strongly about that. And I will not settle for a guy saying, well... I still feel like you should be my best friend. Fuck no, I don't want to be your best friend. I want to be one of your best friends. Because we're going to be sharing very intimate secrets. And another thing I really hate more than anything, and I'm sorry to every couple out there, but I hate this more than anything. If I tell you something, do not tell your partner. What I'm telling you is between me and you. Don't tell your partner. Because then it's your partner knows about me, and I don't know shit about your partner. Like, yeah. if you want me to have a relationship with your partner, that's totally fine. I can be friends with anybody. But do not tell your partner about shit that I've told you. I hate that more than anything. That drives me bonkers. Yeah. Ugh, anyway. That's what I say. It's a, it's a delicate balance. It's, yeah. Um, you know, there's there's always there's always running the risk of then your partner feeling like you're being elusive or you're not disclosing mm-hmm. stuff to them because mm-hmm. and, and and they can certainly feel threatened in those situations for the exact reasons right. that we're talking about about platonic yeah. relationships and that's 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 one of the things that you always have to again you have to you have to be conscientious to those things and thoughtful about the parties that are involved and thoughtful about how those interactions impact everybody involved, not just yourself, not just right. one person, but anybody who could potentially be impacted by those decisions. And it's, you right. know, that's why it's work. It's not something that people can mm. do with their eyes closed. I give shout out to people like, um, like Kidney and Lanier, who've been together for how many decades? 
and they're still fucking happy as hell. Like, yeah. shout out because, and they still hang out with their friends. Like, shout out to them. Like, holy crap. I don't know how they've yeah. done it. Wow. Well, I think, you know, my, if you want my honest interpretation, you're talking about two really, really, like, just nice, good people. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's, I, I, I can't think of a, a, a negative story about Neither can I. Um, nope. Always, you know, I, I've always had nothing but admiration for the two of them mm-hmm. as individuals, let alone as yep. as a couple. And it's just, Same. it's great to see that that a high school love story does end up having, you know, a happy ending. I mean, at, at least mm-hmm. this, you know, up up to this point that we know. Um, yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm not, I'm I'm certainly not under the assumption that that they're perfect and that they, they've never had right. a single bump in the road. But I, I right. do think that it's greatly helped by the fact that they're two really good people. Um, True. And that, and that makes, that makes these interactions in these situations all the more easier. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I look at them and I think like, I have not, like, just like you, I have nothing but good things about Lanier. Kimmy and I have been, like, friends since, like, the beginning. Like, I love her so much. Um, Lanier, I just think he is just such a goofball, and he was so funny. Like, he never was serious. And I just love, like, looking back, I appreciated that about him. He was our comic relief. Like, he was so funny. And I'm just so happy for the two of them, and they got those three boys, and, oh. It's like, it warms my heart just to, like, interact with her. Her and I talk um, kind of often, and I just love her to death. She's just amazing. And even when I was moving back to Springfield, she's like, well, if, if you need a job, I'll help you get a job at my company. I'm like, Kimmy, no, I'm fine. She's just so amazing. She's so amazing. And it's not fake. It's real. She's really that awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, Okay. Moving on to these two lowlifes. I'm sorry, I had to say it. Um, Wade Robson and James Safechuck. They have separately sued Michael Jackson's estate since 2013. Now, the man died in 20, 2009. Um, they've been suing his estate, claiming molestation. Um, the other suits they were dismissed because the statute of limitations expired, but California changed yep. the statute of limitations, which is fine. Their cases have still been dismissed because of lack of evidence. So are mm-hmm. they going to stop now? Because this is getting out of control. They're wasting their own money on lawyers. They're looking completely stupid. That special with Michael Jackson or, or about um, the Michael Jackson uh, allegedly molesting them was so strange. Um, one of the things that stuck out in my mind, I can't remember which one of them, I think it was Shane, was talking about the Neverland train and how Michael did this and that and to him. That train did not even exist when he was friends with Michael. So it's like right off the bat, you're lying. And then, like, if you lie about one thing, I'm sorry. We probably don't believe you with the others. 
So I just, I don't know. I don't know. What are your thoughts on this whole thing? Well, first, uh, let me let me start off by saying I was never the biggest Michael Jackson fan to begin with. Mm-hmm. Thought he was incredibly mm-hmm. talented. Thought you know, yeah. thought his uh, his his career arc and story were compelling. But I've never been mm-hmm. like I never went out and bought like the the Thriller outfit or the Beat It outfit. Like I I remember kids in mm-hmm. elementary school wearing all that crap, and I was like, I, I'm just I wasn't that Im- impressed with him that I would go out and emulate him in any way. But um, fast yeah. forward several years, and you have some allegations come out, and then fast mm-hmm. forward even you know even further, and now posthumously we're talking about all of these things that are sullying his good name um Mm -hmm. you know it's it's one of those things where it's hard not to 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 take in the amount of accusations Mm -hmm. that have been made um and i think that's the same you know we say that about a lot of situations when when you Mm -hmm. have one accusation it's like all right well let's let's wait till we have the evidence and then when we have multiple allegations it's like you know immediate judgment an immediate uh, prosecution. Um, right. I think that's where I, you know, where I, I try to err on the side of caution and understanding what potentially could have happened, and um, and then looking at, you know, how credible these claims are. I watched that same that same series, yeah, and I I didn't find either one of them to be particularly overly credible. Nope. But at the same time, um, I don't want to discount what someone says that they've experienced. I don't want to discount mm-hmm. what someone, what trauma someone has, has, you know, has inferred has been inflicted Define on. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's and that's part of it. You know, we're if we're if we're talking about, of, of, let's say, for example, a woman who says that she's been raped. Our, mm-hmm. our, what's our immediate reaction to that? Is it empathy? Is it understanding? Is it denial? Um, mm-hmm. And I think we run into the same thing, especially when we're talking about a celebrity who has such a powerful and um, and, and faithful following. Um, it's very hard to kind of remove the emotional perspective from it and say objectively, is it possible that this person did it? And I do think it's possible. Um, mm. I, I think I need more. I think I need more to, you know, to say that this is completely validated. And the fact that the court system is reviewing this evidence and information and saying that mm. there is no validity to it, that 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 gives me a, a lot of concerns. But at the end of the day, you know, they're they're continuing to fight what what seems to be a very losing battle. Um, mm-hmm. so I, you know, I don't, I don't know that, um, that they'll continue to, to spend all this time and money on it when there really isn't, there really isn't much that they're going to, uh, to resolve at this point, um, aside from just keeping their name in the press. And in 93, when he was first accused, that case was like done. He he was cleared. And every single time someone comes with allegations, the case is dismissed. So how many more times do we need? Like, maybe if one of them, and he did settle out of court with one 
but that doesn't mean an omission of guilt. Um, but every single other case it does that's with been to trial, true, true. But <laughs> the reason why it does with Kobe, for me anyway, say with anybody else, I read his deposition, and it did sound like he raped her and didn't realize he raped her. And when I mean realize, I mean ignored. When she was saying stop, I think he thought she was saying stop because he was, quote, too big, end quote. Again, I read his deposition online. I don't remember how I got it, but I remember looking it up on, on, on the Internet at the time. And I saw it, and I was like, wow, he did rape her. That's crazy. Um, and I was just thinking about um, some of the other, uh, like R. Kelly. When people said, oh, you know, some women came out against him, I'm like, R. Kelly? Well, he did marry Aaliyah when she was 15, so I'm looking back in my head, like, is it possible that this guy's like this? And then one after one, women came out with details. He came out and said some stuff that kind of matched what they were saying, but he tried to defend himself. So I'm like, I think he might be guilty, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so, Yeah. You're supposed to believe women when they say it. There have been cases when women have lied. Yes, that, that's that's not foreign. But overall, you're supposed to believe victims when they speak up. This I, yeah. I don't. I've never believed these two guys. Never. Well, and the other so. part of that is that when we're when we're talking about these situations, again, mm-hmm. what we're dealing with is the information that's then put out publicly, the information that's mm-hmm. been shared publicly and that the media can dig up. There's, you know, there, there's so much to sitting in a, you know, in a courtroom and listening to the actual evidence that's being presented and coming, you know, reaching a, a conclusion based on, you know, the, 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 the full scope of, of what someone has presented on both sides and I think that that's really critical to understanding these situations, that we're often litigating them from a public perspective that is devoid of all of the details. And it's hard for me to make a value judgment or to make a, an assessment on a situation when, you know, I'm, I'm getting what is reported on it or what's, what's fed to me um, as opposed to what should be utilized in a situation, which, like you said, if you have a deposition where you can read someone's mm-hmm. own words, mm-hmm. then maybe you don't have to sit, sit through the entire trial to understand right. what someone has in their own admission given you some clarity on. There are other times mm-hmm. where we just don't have the, the luxury of being able to do that, and we're still expected right. to somehow make some kind of value judgment off of it. And the reason why our opinions are important is because number one, there are opinions and number two, we're people that consume music, merchandise, move, we go to the movies, we do all this. So yes, our opinion does matter to a degree and yeah. not for nothing. I, I guess that you weren't a huge Michael Jackson fan because I cannot treat you in a Jerry curl. Like I'm trying to picture you, <laughs> 
with, <laughs> with, with long hair and party in the front or a business in the front, party in the back. I can't picture it, dude. So I Never would have happened. But let me tell you something. When I was in third grade and I was in the spelling bee, damn it, did I want that Michael Jackson T-shirt. And I got this stupid Cabbage Patch Kid mug, and I was always pissed about it. Oh, I think I think his so hair catching on fire was enough for me to say, you know, this is not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> that was because of how much activator was in his hair. But that's another exactly. story. Exactly. Um, <laughs> getting to a little bit more serious topic. Um, the reason why I wanted to ask this was because I don't know. I just, I felt like it was important to ask. So here I go. Um, do you think uh, Biden has stuck to his campaign promises? Well, do I think he has stuck to them? I think, you know, as we look back on the first hundred days, which obviously mm-hmm. is Oof. what you know, what what is a considerable barometer for what the next you know, for the entirety of the four years that he's, he's going to be in office at least look like. Right. Um, I think there are some, there are some very positive signs that mm-hmm. he has bucked to his guns. Mm-hmm. I think there are also some areas where he potentially could have done more. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the jury's still out. He, it's not like, you know, a hundred days and you're done and you can't do anything else. Um, but there's there's also some areas where I feel like it's been grossly neglected. Um, mm. So I you know I'm I'm waiting for his you know him to to circle back to the issues with law enforcement and how to manage that mm-hmm. situation as well as you know how the overlap with gun control. I'm interested to hear how um, how some of the things that he has had to address and been forced to address because of bad policy in the past. Um, how they've impacted his early presidency in terms of immigration, in terms of the border, um, and trying to figure out some kind of bipartisan solution, which I don't, frankly, I don't see as possible because the rhetoric around the situation is just too toxic to be able to address it effectively at this point. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, we're stuck with a lot of crappy executive orders or lack of executive orders to uh, to manage a situation which is becoming far too uh, untenable for, you know, to, to be considered a successful start in terms of uh, in terms of how that's been being managed. But there are some things that, have, you know, with the response to covid um, has been mm-hmm. largely successful. Um, I think, you know, the, the attempt to try to jumpstart the economy and, and continue to rebuild, which, you know, not as a, mm-hmm. a I, I'm going to give Trump credit where credit is due. The economy was doing well, um, which mm-hmm. I think, again, is just a continuation of a lot of the successes that were, were born of the Obama, you know, presidency. But, right. um the, the big thing to me, and, and this is really what's, what I think is going to dictate how the next 10 years look in the American economy, is what do we do about the taxes and the tax cuts that have happened? Because those impact all of these areas that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, we'll, the jury's still out. Um, but I do think that in terms of, of campaign progresses, there's, 
our, our promises. There's been some progress. He's he's in some ways far more progressive in some areas than what I had expected mm-hmm. and what I think even most Democrats had expected. Um, but mm-hmm. I also think that there's there's room. There's tons of room for opportunity to continue to to make positive changes for you know for the majority of Americans and not just the wealthy few. Agreed 100% on everything you just said. Um, I would like to add, he is talking about gun control, which thank God someone is because he's not looking, and and this is the fear-mongering that some people do. He's not looking to take away guns. He's looking to take away guns from crazy people and restrict them from being able to get those guns, mass shooters. Yeah and um, zealots. He's trying to get them, he's trying to make it harder for them to get guns. That's what he's trying to do. He's not trying to take away guns from the average American who wants to protect themselves for whatever reason. That's their right. Um, He's also, um, one thing I didn't like was when discussing uh, college debt, he had said in his campaign, yeah, I'll think about 50000 yeah. But then he did a speech where he's like, well, my kids, they, they, they got their college debt under control. So, you know, I think, I think 10000 is good. And I'm like, well, no, it's not. There are people that desperately need this tax cut. And I understand, you know, people say, you know, you took out the loans. You have no idea what the circumstances are for people taking out loans to better their lives. Mm-hmm. And if they can get a break from that, I understand you paid off your debt. I, great for you. That's awesome. That's amazing. Not everybody has that. So how about that 200 or $300 monthly payment for that uh, college debt can go to something else, you know? Um, yeah. I don't know. That's just my thought. The last point I want to make, and I know that you know I'm going to make it. He is the first president to ever address transgender issues and the trans community in a public forum like this. I was shocked. I was like, wait, what? What did he just say? Like, when he said that he wanted to be the president for all Americans, he meant us, but he also, if you notice, he did not interfere in the insurrectionist cases. He has not interfered in the Derek Chauvin cases. So he's, he's letting everybody know, no matter who you are, I'm your president. I just felt good about that. Yeah. Because I think other presidents would have interfered in both to get whatever outcome they felt was going to make them look more favorable. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy so far. He's still, right yeah, I still feel a little, you know, I, I'd want to handshake him. I wouldn't want to hug him because I think he might sniff my hair and squeeze me a little too tight. But, um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm happy so far. Yeah, um, and I, I think I think most people most people feel that there has been at least some some progress and some positive progress, mm-hmm. which is which is all we can ask for at this point. My friend, who is a Republican, 
was on Twitter, and someone was complaining, complaining. She goes, all right. And she's, she's been a Republican her whole life. She says, Biden won. Move on. And I'm like, damn, girl. Like, I, wow. I couldn't believe she said it. She's not, she's not been like a, I don't know how to explain her. She's not MAGA. She's just a Republican. I, I don't know if that makes any sense. There, but, are some, there are some out there. Okay. I don't know if that there makes sense. There are some out there. But, yeah. Um, oh, speaking and of let's, MAGA, let's be honest, actually. Though. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, let's be honest. The Republican Party of 2021 and Republican mm-hmm. ideologies of 2021 are mm-hmm. not what people would consider traditional conservatism and not mm-hmm. what people would consider to be the hallmark values of even, even Reagan-era politics. Um, right. It's, it's, just, it's a very different animal right now than what, what we were mm-hmm. looking at even 10 years ago. Yeah, and I was going to say, speaking of MAGA, Senator Roger Marshall was completely a MAGA. He was, he voted 98% with Trump. 98%. And when it turns out, he he even voted in Texas versus Pennsylvania. He was one of the senators that felt, you know, the big lie was real, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So it's kind of funny when he's being charged with aiding the insurrectionists that he wants forgiveness. Him, um, I think it's strange that he would want forgiveness. Um, what are your thoughts? Because I have plenty. Well, let's, 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 let's go, uh, just a quick recap of exactly, you know, kind of why we're at this point. Sure. When the opportunity came to impeach Trump the second time, mm-hmm. the, the, the big lie and all of this nonsense that was circulating without a shred of evidence. And in fact, that evidence has come out. Yeah. That mm-hmm. the evidence that has come out that there's been any wrongdoing in any of the elections has actually been committed by Republicans um, the, these very staunch supporters of the president at the time um, couldn't be convinced, just like they couldn't be convinced that Russia had impacted our election in 2016 and had, had, had mm-hmm. attempted to influence it uh, in favor of Trump, just like they can't be convinced that no matter how many facts or no, ma- no matter how much information is out there, that there is, you know, this alternative reality that people can subscribe to. And I think it's, it's something that you, you see a lot of these politicians have conveniently uh, kind of uh, re- regressed back into this. Well, that's not what happened. I don't, that, that's not how I remember. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, mm-hmm. can't we just move, can't we just move on? Is this, is, this seems petty. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're talking about, a a movement and and as I've said uh, probably a billion times now I don't think that Trump is the you know the the actual virus I think he's a symptom of a larger problem 
but mm-hmm. this whataboutism and this you know inability to accept the fact that you may be on the wrong side and admission of that is okay as long as you recognize that there are, there are things that need to be done to make improvements or things that need to be done to prevent these types of abuses from happening again, that that is somehow anathema to, you know, to trying to gain political favor or maintain some, you know, some level of the spotlight. This is, it's political theater at this point. And someone like Marshall or, you know, I know we, we were texting about Josh Hawley and some of these other people, mm-hmm. uh, the, the guy from guy from Oregon who actually like opened the door and let rioters into the Capitol. The, the convenience of forgetting that these things have happened or trying to move on as if they're no big deal, um, which there's a, a huge chunk of the American population who will accept that as, as, as reality. Um, to me, that's, that's so problematic in so many ways because it prevents us from having genuine conversations and a genuine understanding moving forward of at least what is common ground and what is, what is reality. And if you can't agree on reality and what the, what, what the, you know, what the baseline foundation for how American government should operate or American society should operate, then I don't see how we can reach any bipartisan solutions or find a, you know, a, a broader coalition for these types of things that we need right now in order to, to get through the remainder of, of what we're dealing with with the coronavirus, to get to a point where the economy can you know, continue to, to return to a sense of normalcy um, and families and, and lives can start to, to return to what they hope is, is more stable ground. Um, it's just it's it's an it's an impossible situation when you have people that are living in a fantasy land that they have created and are hoping to sustain in order to protect themselves. Right. Um. Yeah. I I think the reason why they want us to bypass is because they know they're wrong now. At the time, they were they were feeling like they did something amazing and they didn't have any repercussions. But now, months later, where there's repercussions for almost every person attached to that insurrection, they're like, oh, wait, um, yeah, can we just move on? Uh, Yeah, don't mention me. Josh and his fist to the crowd. Um, I will never forget that message. Never. That was the most disgusting thing I have ever seen. Um, they were ready to kill Nancy Pelosi, physically kill her, and he's putting a fist in the air, basically saying, go ahead, do it. Like, that's what that fist yeah. meant. Um, you have, and I'm sorry to say this, but those people are emotionally unstable, and he's kind of aggravating the situation, not um, pacifying it. Not saying, no. hey, guys, listen, I work there. Please don't come in. Nope. Fist in the air. Like, what? These are your coworkers. You, you want, just because you, if you don't like, listen, I don't like people at work either. I don't want them killed. Like, no. <laughs> I don't, I, yeah. Um, he's a piece of garbage, um, which sucks because you know me. 
I mean, you know I have a crush on ugly guys. Like, ugly guys on the inside. You know I do. Then when I first saw Josh, I was like, damn, he's hot. And then, like, his personality came through, and I'm like, damn, why is he hot, you know? But he's a jerk. And you had mentioned in text that he was the single vote against Asian hate crime bill. Like, I think he thought other people would stand with him. I don't think he realized he was going to be the lone, the lone one. I think he thought other people would stand against him or stand with him. I honestly believe. See, and I think he knew. I think he knew because a lot of times when they're building these, um, you know, when they're trying to uh, get people into the fray about, you know, what they're going to vote for and they're mm-hmm. building these coalitions of voters, they oftentimes mm-hmm. uh, have, have a very good awareness, a very keen awareness of who is voting yay and who's voting nay. And mm-hmm. a lot of times before it even hits the floor, they are well aware of who's going to vote which way, which is one of the reasons why Joe Manchin has become so critical, because even as a, as oh. a Democrat, he's very conservative. And when you only have the luxury of, you know, 50 votes and a tiebreaker, you need him to be part of these, you know, these discussions. And oftentimes a lot of these politicians will bring people with them. They may be more senior politicians, more tenured, um, and they often have these, um, you know, I don't want to say underlings, but these people that look to them for guidance on how to vote on certain issues. And they may, you know, they may pretend that they're coming up with their own you know, investigation or, you know, evaluation of, of the merits of a, of a bill. But oftentimes it's based on, you know, kind of backdoor dealings and handshakes on, you know, this is why we need to vote for this as a group, as a, a you know, as a, and the Tea Party was very effective in doing this where they would say, we're not voting on yes on anything. We're voting against everything that could potentially be a, a budget buster. And mm-hmm. they, that's why they were so effective and, and kind of handcuffing the entire Republican Party because they had enough people within that within that group to then limit the Republican Party from being able to just broadly pass or broadly do anything that they wanted to do. So I, I think it's for him. And again, if he's going to pretend that he had no idea what, how this was going to pan out. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I know possible. I don't think it's even humanly possible for him not to have known. This is what's going to happen. This is the expectation. This is who's going to vote for it. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he knew he would be the only person who didn't vote for it. And he knew exactly how that would be received, and exactly how his buddy Trump would have perceived it. Because that's really what he does. Oh, I see. Here. I see. Okay. Just gross. <laughs> Just yeah, because gross, here's the right. thing. And, and you know, you know, like I said before, think 10 years ahead. What if his kids, one of his kids, because I think he has two or three, one of, one of his kids start dating an Asian person? How is he going to sit and, and like, his child is going to know for the rest of their lives that my dad voted against your protection and your family's protection in this country my dad voted against that like how i wow i just i will never understand people who don't think ahead or just 
think of other people, you know? And this senator guy, he's obviously like him too, voted with Trump, felt, and this is my latest irk right now, felt like the coronavirus was a joke and the vaccines are a joke, yet wants to protect um, uh, cisgender girls in sports. So he believes the science on one issue, but he doesn't believe the science on the other. What? <laughs> I, I'm, my brain hurts from trying to come up with the logic on that. Um, there is a and he's asking for forgiveness, and I don't. Yeah, totally not. And it's like, you're just saying whatever, whatever Trump wants you to say, you say. So you do realize you're just a puppet. You're not, like, thinking on your own. You're not doing research on your own. You're not sitting down and saying, well, why do I believe the science in one aspect and not on the other? That doesn't make sense. Like, I'm contradicting but myself. But there's, again, there's this whole model built around cognitive dissonance where mm-hmm. regardless of, and, and we saw it, we saw it full scale on the situation with George Floyd. The cognitive dissonance that it takes to watch someone being knelt on for nine minutes Mm -hmm. and saying, I can't breathe. The Mm -hmm. cognitive dissonance that it requires to say, well, maybe there's something else that explains why this could have happened. Maybe there's something else that will justify Mm -hmm. it because I can't see myself going against police in any way, yeah. shape, or form. And that, to me, yeah. is so disturbing that that's how it translates mm-hmm. to so many other issues that we have where someone mm-hmm. says, Black Lives Matter, Colin Kaepernick is kneeling. Okay, the, the cognitive dissonance that it requires when the NFL admits that they've done something wrong, that they mm-hmm. have blackballed this player, and that mm-hmm. they've paid him because of it, and then to have people say, well, I just don't, I think the NFL, I won't watch football again. Because they can't admit that Mm -hmm. nothing that Colin Kaepernick did would result in blackballing from the NFL. Nothing that he did was un-American. Nothing that he did was something that was uh, was in, in direct disrespect of our service members. Like, all of these things are the, the antithesis of, you know, cognitive, cognitive dissonance coming to play for what, you know, you know what, what should be a normal and rational conversation about these issues. And, um, you know, and, and it just muddies, again, it muddies the water. And it makes it impossible to have a realistic conversation when people are in, in an alternate universe. The thing that I've learned about society today, and I think... I mean, I don't think it started with Trump, but I think it was amplified by Trump, is you never apologize when you're wrong. When Colin Kaepernick took a knee, people were like, he's disrespecting the flag, that's disgusting. I go, well, when you're in battle and you're a soldier, you take a knee when someone dies, when one of your brothers and sisters dies on the field. You take a knee to propose to a woman or a man if you're gay. Um, you you take a knee in church when you're bowing at a pew. He's taking a knee to honor 
the black people that were killed by police brutality. How is that disrespecting the flag? Number one. Number two, he was sitting down originally, and a Green Beret named Nate Boyer said, you're being disrespectful by sitting your ass down. If you want to do anything, you can take a knee. That's where he got it from. Then after all of this happens and transpires, and he's blackballed, and George Floyd happens, and everybody says, oh, my gosh, we were wrong. The NFL comes out and says, we were wrong. Colin Kaepernick was right. Do you think an average American is going to say, you know what? I agree, we were wrong. No, they're going to stick to their guns because people don't apologize. When we were kids, we were taught, if you do something bad, you would admit it. Why does that get lost in translation the second we grow up? I, I, I don't get it. I, you heard me admit I was a stalker in college, although if I talk to him and I tell him, you know, I've apologized to him, actually. I said, you know, I apologize because looking back on the, the time that, you know, we were in college together, I felt like I stalked you. He's like, no, you didn't. I don't, I'm not, you have nothing to apologize for. But... I don't get why we just don't take the L and be like, you know what? We were wrong. I don't, I don't, I can't understand that. I can't, I can't understand it. Well, because we, we, we just sat through four years of mm -hmm. someone who has, has, has made their entire existence about the, that, that very, very key response to every single thing yeah. that it happens do not mm-hmm. take responsibility for it a loss is a win depending on how you describe it and if right. you continue yeah. to say that it's a win people will believe it and they do right. they, they do believe it and they still you see people it all the to time. this day may 2021 still believe even with how many cases was it like 30 something cases of uh, the big lie, people still believe the big lie. They lost so many times in court. Oh, sorry, 60. Yes, but you're right, 65 cases where it's been thrown out of court for lack of evidence. People still believe it to this day. This recount that they're doing, whatever the the assessment that they're doing in Arizona is still ongoing because they cannot admit that if there was any fraudulent activity that happened, number one, it was so minuscule that it did not impact the outcome of the election. And number two, if it did happen, it's more likely, based on the results and the information that has been, has been uncovered, that it was a Republican who did the cheating. Mm-hmm. All of those, those things are so hard to reconcile when you, just, mm. you don't have a willingness to accept the L will not accept the L. And we had four years of someone who refused to accept the L. And a lot of times... Refused. You know, <laughs> yeah, a lot of times there were, there were situations that should have been an L that ended mm-hmm. up being a, a win because for all intents and purposes, you can't have a president who's been impeached twice and gotten off and mm-hmm. not look at that as a, as a win. You can't. It is a mm-hmm. win. Regardless of what, whether the fact that it goes down in history as the only president to have been impeached twice, it's True. still a win because they didn't convict. Right. Oh, yeah, I see what you mean. 
mm-hmm. which never would have happened. It never would have happened because of the fact that there were the Republicans had control of the Senate. It never would have happened. Mm-hmm. But that foregone conclusion is lost on the fact that because those people that were tasked with upholding justice did not do their job, that mm-hmm. fact is lost on people that just look at the outcome. The outcome is President Trump is still there, and he's still able to continue saying, I won. Which is funny because those same people look at Michael Jackson, just going back to it for a second, and say, I still think he's guilty. The same people that look at the Central Park Five and say, I still think they're guilty. Yet, when they see his verdict, oh, he, he won. So, he, it's so funny how people contradict and, and pick apart what they, what they can see and what they don't see. It's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, and, and um, there's there's no there's no one in their right mind that can look at the information that was provided during during those trials and say, yeah, no, he didn't do anything in either right. situation. And then people wanted to come after Maxine Waters and say she was inciting violence when she talked about Derek Chauvin, and if that doesn't go a certain way, that we should write. I'm sorry. Listen, I love my Maxine Waters. Ain't nobody listening to her old ass. <laughs> Ain't nobody going to write that's because not even what she said. Water said. I know, but... but... But that's the problem. It was painted in such a, a weird light and, mis, and misrepresented, misrepresented her words that, yeah, it mm-hmm. sounds like she does want people to go out and, you know, and, and, and cause chaos, but that's not, what she, that's not even what she said. And... You know, it, this this feeds into it. When you misrepresent someone else's words to the effect mm-hmm. of being able to, to, to now discount them as a credible resource, it, it, it feeds into this whole process. It's, it's the same thing they did with Hillary Clinton's emails. If you say yep. enough and misrepresent things enough, then you can paint a picture that you want people to see. They don't care that Trump's entire family was using the same type of levels of communication yep. while he was in yep. office, that he had, you know, that he had un- unsecured servers. They don't care about any of that. They don't care that he right. used his own personal phone, which wasn't, you know, nope. up to the government's level of, of, of encryption. That doesn't matter. Hillary's email, nope. but the emails, which, of course, but the emails. resulted mm-hmm. in a big, fat nothing burger. Twice. Again, twice, but people still say, it was like, oh, but I still believe that she had something. So she, you guys lost in court twice, and you still believe she had something to do with it? Okay, boo. Yeah, she testified okay. in front of the Senate, in, in front of Senate right. Republicans who had the same opportunity as anyone else to question the details, and they didn't yep. find anything wrong. It's, I mean, nope. it's, it's, it's ridiculous. I shouldn't say they didn't find anything wrong. It was, an, it was not appropriate, but at the end of the day... Um, it got blown up into something much bigger than it was, just like Maxine Waters, just like anything anyone ever says. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think, it's un- I think it's unfortunate. In context, I think these things, these things matter. Right. True. Um, finally, I'm just going to do, I'm just going to wrap it up real quick just because I don't want you to stay on the phone too long. Um, Oh, listen, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in for the long haul. You let me know. 
Well, we don't have too many topics left. And I, the two topics I wanted to get to, they're more extensive. And, yeah, I would rather just wait till next time. Um, first of all, <laughs> RIP before we go. RIP to Olympia Dukakis. My Clary yeah. has passed. She died on my birthday. I don't know whether to be, like, insulted or honored. Like, oh, I... 89 years old. She had a good life. I loved Olympia Dukakis. Loved her. I just recently rewatched Moonstruck um, last year at the start of pandemic because I hadn't seen it since I was, you know, a kid. She was so amazing. Uh, I just love her. I'm so sad. But like you said yeah. before, I think you said this last week, we're at that age when we're losing you know, people in our lives that are important and also celebrities that we admired when we were kids. So we're at that age, Joe. I know, Um, I know. Any movie or TV reviews that you have? Um, I've been watching them on Amazon Prime. Mm Mm-hmm, how's that? I'm, I'm almost done with it. But I will mm-hmm. say that um, from from a historical perspective, I love how they wove the the the, the story from you know the, the 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 exodus from the South that blacks experienced during Jim Crow era, especially post World War II. I love how mm-hmm. they wove that whole experience into this story. Um, it's creepy but not over the top and it's to me it's more of like a psychological thing than a horror thing um but i'm 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 interested to see how it ends because i think that that's really going to be my my final verdict is going to be based on how they resolve the stuff that's happening and it's really it's it's a good show it definitely makes you feel something Mm -hmm. um with almost every one of the main characters in the family. And it's just something that I have, I've enjoyed the first, I think it's eight episodes out of the 10. And uh, I can't wait to see how they finish it to, uh, to get a, to get a, a final verdict on it. Um, I also nice. watched Mortal Kombat. <laughs> Loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I got the tactics. <laughs> I love that. I, I I know there's some naysayers that were sad that Johnny Cage, uh, I won't ruin it for anybody, wasn't wasn't really in it uh, because he's one of the original characters. I got to be honest, love it. I know there's going to be more. Bring it on. I love it. You can ruin it. it. It's fine. I mean, it's not it's not really ruining it by saying what happens with Johnny Cage. You're not really ruining anything. Well, he's, not, he's not in the movie. He's not in the nope. movie per se, but they nope. give you a little, a little taste of of how they are going to weave him into the into the storyline that they're going to create yep. over a couple, uh, several movies. So it's it's intriguing. I'm excited. Yep. I loved Mortal Kombat growing up. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, at first, I was I was a little bit nervous about how they were yep. going to bring in a character that was not from the actual game itself or from the mm-hmm. storyline, but I think they did it to a solid mm-hmm. effect, and I have no complaints. Did you cheer like I did when he said some of the lines? Get over here. Like, I was like, oh, my God, yeah. Loved it. 
<laughs> I was I was dying. I saw it twice actually. Once, as you know, last Saturday, and then I saw it again on Thursday with my other nephew. And we he didn't really know Mortal Kombat because he's only eighteen and he hasn't like done the whole research and grown up with it like you and I have. But um yeah, it was crazy just to see everything and like rewatch it a second time and to see how he has that um how Scorpion has that what is that called? That weapon that he has with like I don't know what it's called, with the rope at the end or I don't know, whatever. Um that's from the game. And there's a sentimental reason why he has it and I'm just like this is amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. Big big fan. Anything else? Um, I think that's all the big stuff that I watched this week. I started watching okay. that art heist thing from uh from the uh Isabella Gardner Museum in uh in Boston. Oh, okay. I started watching it. It's pretty out. solid. It's because uh hmm. especially because it's not it's not something that um it was big around here because it's mm-hmm. Boston. But it was largely forgotten. And it's the biggest art mm-hmm. art heist in history. Wow. I'll definitely have to watch that. It, it's pretty interesting. And the whole thing kind of centers around the fact that Boston police is, you know, can be very good and can be very bad. And it's just interesting mm-hmm. to see the, the story develop. It's, I, I'm, I can't, again, I can't wait till I finish that as well. Nice. Um, How about you? So, so I, obviously I saw Mortal Kombat again. I also mentioned I was watching Scooby-Doo, and I'm just like, how many times is Velma going to lose her glasses, and how blind is she? Like, this chick saw a skeleton sitting in a corner with Shaggy. Like, bitch, no. Like, how blind is this bitch? And then my sister was like, I think the, I think it's based on them being, like, high all the time. And, like, why doesn't Shaggy ever wear a shirt that fits him? I'm like, I'm not quite sure. So I had my adult eyes on, and I'm just, like, picking this apart. But still a solid cartoon. I freaking loved it. Um, I also... Are you talking about about Scoob? Yes, Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? The 1969... 68-69. So the the two seasons when it was first came out. Um, Got it, got it, got it. My other favorite Scooby-Doo series is A Puff Named Scooby-Doo, just because, like, I don't know. I just, I like seeing them younger. But also what I wanted to mention, too, is if you watch Scooby-Doo, like, some of the terms they had, like, I forgot some, they said something. Oh, counterfeit bills. Like, I didn't know what counterfeit bills were before that show. Like, I knew after that, like, fake money is counterfeit bills. Like, I don't know. I just feel like some of these shows don't get enough credit for the education that they give kids sometimes. And I know that sounds weird, but, um, yeah. Scooby-Doo is a solid show. Oh, okay. Um, I watch, what? What were you going to say? I was just saying, that's how we learned so much, you know, the, the, yeah. the creepy janitor was, you know, didn't necessarily have to be committing a crime for us to know that the janitor was, was creepy. And there's a reason why that played into <laughs> our, 
you know, <laughs> there's, a, yeah. there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of truth to some of these things that um, yeah. you don't realize until you look back with some introspective uh, lens and say, oh yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, there there is uh, there is always that sketchy mayor who's doing some weird stuff behind the scenes. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and my sister was like. They only introduced a few characters into the show. How do we always not figure out who's the bad guy? I'm like, you're so right. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I just never figured it out. I don't know. However, I will say, I will say this. That mm-hmm. has helped me tremendously in being able to figure out movies. I'm, I'm notorious for figuring out movies really, really early on because of Scooby-Doo, and I'm definitely going to make that link. It is 100% factual. Nice. Because of the fact that there were so few characters, you would, ha- mm-hmm. you, would, you would look at the show and be like, all right, here's episode number one billion that I've watched, and here are the four characters that they introduced. It can't be this one, can't mm-hmm. be this one, could be this one. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely think it's... And, and so you kind of come up with that deductive reasoning ability from watching those shows as a kid and it, carry, it definitely carried over into other movies. The only movie um, what was the, uh, the Daniel Craig one that just came out um, uh, where it's like mm. the whodunit. Um, oh, Knives Out. Yeah, so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was my That one threw me for a, for a loop. Yeah, that Boom. threw me for a loop uh-huh. for a little bit. Yeah. That's I had good. no idea. Good movie. I had no idea. Yeah. I was completely, and I used to be like you, and I used to be able to figure things out. Now, I don't know. I get so into movies. I'm like, I can't figure this out. I don't. I don't know yeah. if this couple's going to be together in the end. I don't know who killed this guy. I, I don't know what's yeah. going to happen. I have no idea. I, I just can't <laughs> shut my brain off when I'm watching it. <laughs> yeah, I get so into things like. Like with this movie um, that I watched with Michael B. Jordan, Without Remorse, I had no idea how this was oh, going to end. I'm like, how is this movie going to end? And the reason why I liked it is because it, it gave him so much range as an actor that I felt I felt like I was watching um, like a master's class in acting. He just went from one extreme to the other. and I, And it made sense. It all made sense. And I really, I really liked it a lot. It was good. I could see a sequel coming go. out of that. Yeah, very good movie. Um, what else did I watch? I can't even remember. I think that may have been it. I mean, I'm trying to continue Outlander, but I'm going to have to say this. I'm a little bored. I don't know why. Um, but, yeah, I'm on season two, episode nine. So I should power through, but yeah, I'm a little bit bored. I'm not gonna lie. No, um, Eva Mendez moment. What you got? Oh, Eva Mendez moment for this week. Yep. Um, I think I know what you're gonna say. I, you know, I, 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 I'm just going to keep it simple. I think it's that, you know, two two of my favorite people have, have the same birthday. And Aww. by, by all accounts, <laughs> um, 
Oh, what did you think I was going to say? No, um, I, I thought you were going to say talking on the phone with Anthony. That, that, that's what I was going to say. That, that is actually part of it. By all accounts, mm. being able to, uh, you know, to have those interactions and, um, and you know, being, being thankful that I, you know, have such a great relationship with so many great people um, mm-hmm. that I could share in those birthdays is mm-hmm. it's incredibly gratifying to be able to, uh, to say that, to say that I have important people in my life that, um, mm-hmm. you know, that you can have those celebrations with. I know we talked about yeah. death a lot, but <laughs> we did. I, uh, I appreciate celebrating life, you know, celebrating our yeah. uh, trips around the sun. Yeah, true. How how much are Anthony and I alike, though? Or completely opposite? Well, as far as alike, I would say that, you know, his... He's a, he's kind of a different cat in general. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think all of us are shaped by our family, our friends, our experiences, mm-hmm. you know, where life, our lives have taken us. Um, and I think he's, you know, he's no different in that regard. He's very, uh, he's, I, I, and, that, that's, and I don't want this to sound like a criticism, but he's very insular and, and, and I don't want to call it, Anti-social because I don't think that that really qualifies as uh, what, what, I what it means. But mm-hmm. he is very, very um, to himself. He, he's just he's he very yeah himself. he's very introverted in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And doesn't doesn't really he doesn't really have a lot of time for I guess disingenuous friendships. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's very similar. Yeah. Is he mouthy like me, Joe? Uh, I'll never forget you said you know, that. I was like, what? He's mouthy in his own way. Oh, my God. That was too funny. Bless, bless, you know, bless his heart. He's, um, he's mouthy in his own way. His own unique yeah. version of mouthiness. Yeah. And not to me. And I don't know. I don't know if people realize. I think it happened on the other show. So me and Joe were on another podcast together, and okay. I think either I asked or somebody else asked, "What was Emily like in high school?" And Joe, Joe's like, "Eh, she was bouncy." I'm like, "What? What is happening?" <laughs> and so I told my sister that, and she's like, "Oh yeah, you were." I'm like. What are you people talking about? What is mouthy? Listen, I Uh-oh, knew that I wasn't going to beat up. I knew I wasn't going to get, like, beat up. So, yeah, I would say whatever I felt like. And sometimes I had to defend myself with my mouth. God, that sounded gross. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, I just, whatever. Oh, hush. I was not mouthy. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't look at that as a negative anyway. I feel like I was pretty mouthy too, but at the end of the, at the end of the day, um, yeah, I don't think it's it necessarily a, a, a harsh criticism. Yeah, it's, it, I think it's growing funny, up though. in a, in a town where you know there was constant shit talk going around, mm-hmm. you had to be, you had, you had, to, you had to be skilled verbally to be able to, 
to navigate treacherous waters with your peers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seriously. And I, like I said, I knew that nobody would ever, like, beat me up or anything. So I was like, whatever. I'm just going to say whatever the fuck I want. What are they going to do? There you go. Um, my Eva Mendez moment was when this guy who is pretty, I mean, he's, I don't know if you'll know him. Um, he's from Live, Live PD, um, Sean Larkin. Do you know who that is? I don't. He's pretty uh, well, he's one of the hot cops. He wished me happy birthday. And I was like, wait, what? I've got, like, a huge crush on him. So that was that was nice. Um, just the birthdays in general. Just, like, the birthday wishes in general were so nice. I got, like, ten messages on LinkedIn, which I never go on. You know, um, my close friends like you and other people... Um, said something uh, through messages, Facebook, everywhere. A couple of my friends, this is even crazier. Casey, that you know, Casey sent me a personal birthday video before he went to work yesterday. I was like, this is so amazing. Like, so the outpouring of love yesterday was just amazing. That was my whole Eva Mendes moment. I was just loving life, being showered and, and goaded on. Love it. Um, so I guess that means Anthony are different that way. <laughs> he can't stand attention, and I love it. Oh well, whatever. Um, so before we go, I'd like to give a shout out to my coworker and my friend Bianca. It is her birthday today, and also my um, brother-in-law Joe. It's his birthday as well. So shout out to you guys. I hope that you have so much fun and I hope your days your separate birthdays are as awesome as each of one, one of you are so um, what's your shout out today or who's your shout out to my shout out my shout out mm-hmm. is to um, well I, I know we didn't get to, to, to dig too much into some of the craziness that's going on but um, my mm-hmm. shout out is to um, to all the people that are uh, that are, are working their butts off to create mm-hmm. a difference for any underserved population or any mm-hmm. marginalized population. And I think, you know, as we continue to get further and further away from the Chauvin um, verdict, um, I don't want us to mm-hmm. forget that there's still lots of work to be done and there's a lot of good mm-hmm. people out there doing the work and putting information out there to try to keep this stuff in the, you know, in the public's eye because it's not going to go away if we just continue to assume that one verdict has reshaped our entire world or uh, mm-hmm. one, you know, anti, anti-Asian, you know, crime or uh, hate bill is going to change our, our perception and our perspective on things. Let's keep working yep. towards a better future for us all. We need to put in the work. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Put in the work. Don't turn a blind eye. Yep. And stand up. When you see injustice, it doesn't matter what your your job is. Stand up. Your job is to protect other human beings on this planet. Period. I'm going to say it. Your job is to speak up for other people that can't speak up. Whether it's intervening, whether it's putting up a post, whatever. Whenever you can stand up for someone else, do it. Why not? Because guess what? Someone's going to stand up for you at one point. 
So why why not Hopefully. put in that energy? You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. I think well, it's guys, and, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, the, one, the last thing I was going to say on that is, you know, don't put your don't don't put yourself in fear of imminent harm. But if you're not afraid to say right. something, um, mm-hmm. then it's probably not worth standing up for. And and those are good situations to confront your fear, because. Um, those are the those are the moments where if you see it and observe it when someone else is being mistreated, um, think of how fearful it is for them to be in that situation where they're being mistreated. Yeah, and an example of that is we I got into a soap discussion on Twitter about white head writers talking about black issues and I said, Well there was a white head writer that wanted to do a Black Lives Matter storyline, but the, the the network said no. And so that person left because they felt like they were creatively stunted. So another piece of standing up is using your white privilege or whatever privilege that you have to help someone else. Like the moms who linked arms together during last year and stood in front of police. They stood in front of police between police and other black people. White moms standing interlocked arms. That's amazing. You know, um, just whatever you can do, just do it. Um, I, I don't, I don't see what it is. As Joe said, unless you're putting yourself in, in imminent harm, I get it. You want to protect yourself. You have people to go home to as well. But if you know for a fact that doing this thing is not going to harm you, but it's going to help someone else? Why not? Why not? That's all. But, um, yeah, thanks again, everyone, for listening. Joe, as always, thanks for coming on. Um, thanks for having me. You're awesome. You're awesome. You know that. Not, not as awesome as you, but thank you. Aw. And I can't wait for Saturday. We're going to have so much fun Saturday. Let's get it. Yeah. Okay, guys. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy the rest of your Sunday. And, yeah, be safe out there. Thanks, everybody. Still thirsty for more tea? Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Spilled Tea PC. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Spilled Tea. guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.